that note, folks, welcome to another episode of Not Another Film Podcast. This is the podcast where we take movies we used to love as kids and we re-examine them in the harsh, sobering light of 2018. And I don't know if any movie is going to be uh, brighter under a light of 2018 than the one we're going to talk about today. I am your host, Ian Gears, and to my left, we have one of our co-hosts tonight, and that is Miss Lauren Grace Thompson. How are you doing, Lauren? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Lauren, we're about to discuss uh, the, the hit Nickelodeon film, Big Fat Liar. We are indeed. Why did you choose this movie? Because I do want the listeners to know that it was your choice (laughs) to talk about this Um, fucking movie. So I would really like to say that I had some profound reason for choosing this movie um, or that that I wanted to talk about one particular aspect of it. Uh, But no, uh, the reason I chose this movie is because it has the distinction in my brain of being a movie that I remember watching dozens and dozens of times. And yet... When I think back on the movies that I used to watch at that time in my life, this is the one that I remember the least of. Really? I have this... I knew, The only thing I knew about this movie is that... Is basically Paul Giamatti and Frankie Muniz were in it. I remember it was vaguely about a movie. And that I watched it a lot. But other than that, this, it was this giant gaping hole in my memory. I remembered nothing about it. I gotta ask a follow-up question to this, and then I'll swing over to you, Cole. Please. At what age did... Paul Giamatti's name stick in your brain of just like, oh, that's Paul Giamatti. I, I have literally no idea. It was probably about this. So it was this movie? Probably. I had no idea who he was. So we have Big Fat Liar to thank for introducing an, a generation I would say of that children. The, yeah, I would say that the main Paul Giamatti. <laughs> probably the main distinction of this movie, the legacy that it has held in my life, is that for the longest time when I saw Paul Giamatti and other things, I was like, oh, it's the dude from Big Fat Liar, that movie that I remember nothing of. Yeah, I guess I'll sit back and watch Cinderella Man now. <laughs> yep. Uh, to my right, we have Mr. Cole You're Goss. Not wrong. Cole, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Cole, uh, what was your first experience with Big Fat Liar? Um, paying. Well, I didn't actually. I paid eight dollars because I was like, I'm not going to spend four dollars to exclusively rent this movie. I'm just going to buy a month of stars on Amazon. <laughs> and uh, before that, I'd never seen it. I remember distinctly seeing the trailers when. I was younger, I remember knowing, like, Frankie Muniz was in it, I remember, I didn't know it was Paul Giamatti at the time, obviously, because like you said, I was, you know, nine, why would I? Um, But I remember some guy gets turned blue, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and when did Paul Giamatti become a household name to you? I don't know, shoot him up. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Definitely doing shoot him up on this podcast. Uh, Yeah, I remember seeing this movie in theaters, uh... I saw everything in theaters back then. This was definitely... You still do. I still do. But this was definitely one of those movies that it was like, mom, drop me off at the movie theater on your way to the YMCA, uh, where where you'll go work out and I will do... Uh, I will watch a shitty Frankie Muniz movie. Um, can we call your cat Frankie Muniz? <laughs> we can. Uh, so we just got two... We just adopted two lovely, adorable little FIV positive old men cats, and one of them is currently grooming himself right now uh, very you loudly. May, you may be able to hear, if you hear various slurping sounds throughout this episode, that is why it is It is our, our lovely cat named Lou. He's yep. very sweet and very loud. It's an upside. You never lose track of him. That is true. That is very true. Constantly and, sneezing. And it's only half as gross as some of the shit that we see in this movie. Because this film uh, came out in 2002. 
which was a great year for shitty movies. Uh, but it was mainly marked by, uh, I, I think this movie sticks out so far for me because the first thing you hear in this movie is uh, anyone, and you remember the first song that comes on in this movie? Is it Perfect Day? No, very close though. It's a Smash Mouth song. Which one? It's, uh, I think it's Come On, Come On. Wait, yes, I vaguely remember this. <laughs> come already, on, come on, and I have, stop. I have literally already forgotten parts of this movie again. The musical this Guy Fieri. This movie is impossible to implant in my memory. For some reason, nothing sticks. Nothing in this movie sticks to my brain. No, because it's a flippant movie. It doesn't matter. This movie doesn't matter. It still doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, all of the stakes of this movie are like bragging rights to a movie that comes out. That's a pretty big deal, though. No, it's not even that though. Like Frankie Muniz, he's like he doesn't even care if like. If what's his name, Monty or Marty, Marty Wolf? Marty. Marty. His assistant's name is Monty. I was so pissed off about that the entire <laughs> Dude, movie. Fucking screenwriting one hundred and one. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like he. Wow, like, wait. So his name is Marty, and his his assistant. And name Amanda Detmer's name is Monty. The, the one that Monty. he's like sexually harassing the entire movie. His name is is Monty. Yeah. I don't, but what? um, but F- Frankie Muniz. He doesn't even care if Marty takes, like, you know, takes credit for the movie. He just wants Marty to tell his dad that he wasn't lying. He just wants his dad to believe him. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want the actual credit on the movie. He just literally wants a single phone call. I want to see the, I really want to see the 10 years later version of that movie where, like, he realizes how much money he could have gotten from, like, actually, like getting paid the rights for coming up with the source material for, like, the biggest movie. They're advertising this movie like it's going to be fucking Avatar 2. Like, it's going to be the the biggest movie of all and fucking time. And it doesn't time. even have a finished well, script there, or there, it's gone into there's production. A, he, he finds out about the movie because he sees a trailer in the theater. And then, like, the movie's set to start filming, like, two weeks later. So, But, like, they have, like, an actual uh, scene. Yeah, they have a teaser. Like, they haven't even... They don't even have funding secured well, to I would like shoot to point the out, movie. I pointed out how fucking weird that was. And then Ian gaslit me. And he's like, yeah, but, like, it's a teaser trailer, Lauren. You're being fucking crazy. Let's have, like, they crazy. have special effects for him to look like a giant. Like, well, let's not pretend this is the first time I've gaslit, gaslit you. Okay, this is this whole movie's about gaslighting people. This entire podcast is a cry for help. Well, actually, I. Uh, oh no. Uh, yeah, maybe. The, I've seen t- teasers for movies though that have like they haven't even started shooting yet, and they'll just like kind of show like the the image of something like they that. They show a like, title card they, or something. But, yeah. but I want to repeat. Marty Wolf doesn't even have funding 100%. Like, he has to convince the president. They're not even sure this yeah. movie's getting made. Yeah, they, like, he convinces the president, like, of the day before they, like, the they're already planning to start, start shooting, shooting, and then he gets permission this to This is start by changing shooting. the concept of a movie that already has a trailer telling you the concept of the movie. This movie, uh, uh, this movie about making movies, no. I know more about making movies than this movie knows about making movies. He's a, so Marty Wolf, uh, the Paul Giamatti character, because let's just dive into him. He's a producer, right? He he owns a production company called- He's a producer that acts like a director. Well, yes, exactly. It's, he's worried about securing money for a movie that falls under the realm of producer. He came up with a project. He brought this project to a production company. Again, that is the job of a producer. Yet he's writing it. Okay, now you're a writer, and he's he's going location scouting. He's like Mar- Marty Wolf is he's an auteur. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
<laughs> he's he really, the Kubrick yeah. of, of, of his own production company. Also, worried about getting funding from what... I thought it was his production company. Yeah. And he doesn't know that they've got a new president? Uh, And he's shit-talking the vice president that I'm assuming he had final say over, like, putting in place? It's his production company! Wait, so Ian, you know more about movies than I do. Well, don't gaslight me on that. Well, you do. Uh, Is this reverse gaslighting where I'm giving you the permission to gaslight me? Yeah, this is electric heat. Okay, whatever this... Okay, Uh, so the guy who went from VP to president... He is from that production company, or he's from the studio. Is there a difference between the two of those things? Yeah, there's a uh, yeah. I believe there's a difference. Like like a band apart, which is Tarantino's production company, mm-hmm. is uh, its own entity within Miramax, like okay, the greater studio. So it's studio. possible that he did not know that there was a new president of like Miramax if he's Quentin Tarantino. But I'm also like, but no, you would know. I'm just talking louder to get over the sound of Lou, <laughs> who's like. Just servicing himself. I think, he, I think this might be his last day on Earth. He is, he's looking rough right now. He is, he is so close to finishing and he just can't. No, oh. he's not. He's just grooming himself. Do not mislead our listeners. Oh, man. He is very flexible, but he's not using it for that purpose. Yeah, no, this is he's cat He's just licking his butthole very loudly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're getting into the logistics of the, the difference between... <laughs> Production We're company not and studio. Episodes over here because this is crazy right now. <laughs> it's nuts. It's nuts. But we gotta push forward. Okay. Okay. Um. So I the movie you, starts. Lou. We found out it's it's set in Michigan. The beginning of this movie set in sure. Michigan. Um. And Don't look at. Do not look at me for facts about this movie. It is all gone. Frankie Muniz plays Jason Shepard. He is a compulsive liar. He is a psychopath. He lies constantly about uh, not doing his homework. He lies constantly about eating his food. He gives it to his dog and probably inadvertently poisons his dog. Um, he he just is having a real rough go at it because he's so busy sleeping, I guess. Like, what the fuck does Frankie Muniz do? Dude, I don't know. He, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I have a lot of problems with this movie, and I think we need to get a little bit farther in before I really start talking about it. Yo, fair enough, fair enough. So he is late to school. Uh, he's riding on a skateboard. He gets pushed over by a bully. This bully is played by Saturday Night Live alum Taryn Killam. I was, honestly, I was, that, that really got me more into the movie. I wish she was in more than, like, two scenes. Yeah, me too. Um, because, I I mean, I love Taron Killam. He was, like, for the seasons that he was on SNL, I thought he was, you know, like, the Hilarious. best or second best cast member throughout most of his tenure, so. Yeah. Um, He'll always come in second to Keenan, baby. I love that man. <laughs> Who's also in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Keenan is in this movie. Well, it's Nickelodeon. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that had the Nickelodeon name on it, it was like, that was Keenan to a T. <clears throat> But, so, he gets his skateboard jacked from him by Taron Killam, who's, uh, yeah, he's playing the bully. And then he gets hit by a car. He gets hit by a limo. No, that's later. That's when he's trying to go to the community college to deliver his assignment. That's right. So, that's after he's He's got to get the assignment assignment before he gets hit by a car. I've already... This movie has three locations, and I've already (laughs) forgotten in what order they they arrive. He shows up late to school. He's jumping outside of the window to try and get his best friend, Amanda Bynes, to let him in. uh, And to distract... for some reason, they close the doors to school and don't let you in if you're late at all? Yeah, there's no... Well, I'm assuming his, his reason is he doesn't want anyone to know he's late but like he doesn't want another no they shut the door in his face oh do they and they they do like a no you can't come in oh that's that's, it's on a smash mouth stop 
And the music is, and stop! And he can't get into the school. So he, but, but his parents are terrible parents. Every yes, no, okay, yeah. Let's dive into this. His parents suck. Why didn't they just wake him up earlier? Oh yeah. Like if he if they know he's skateboarding to school, like wake him up or like is is that why he's well, late? Well, he told is them that he had been up for hours. So he oh, lied about that oh, one. Of course. Oh, sorry. The movie's got there's Apparently no plot. Apparently, I remembered yeah, more of this movie, movie than I thought. Perfect. <laughs> No, dude, it's like the parents in Wish Upon a Star that elect to non-parent their children are better parents than these people are. Yeah. Because even, yeah, God, we, yeah, we'll get into it. So he breaks into his own classroom while his teacher. Which you would think they'd want him to be there late or not, but okay. Where his, yeah, his teacher. It's America, our education system is fucked, so I'm not totally shocked. It happens. It happens. But I love the actor playing the teacher. because. Yep. Sandra Oh. Sandra Oh. Emmy nominee. Well, and this is such a weird thing because it's at an it's at an odd time in Sandra O's career. I was looking at like her IMDb at this point. It's pre-Grays, it's pre-Sideways. It must be like right before Grays though, right? Yeah, I think Grays is 2003 or something like that. She's like she's been in a lot of stuff, but not enough stuff to where like, oh, this is like a cameo. This is like a bit part in the movie. She's in like three scenes. Yeah. And she's great. Like the oh, yes, the she's little a very good actress. yeah the little performances by like her and honestly even Giamatti in some scenes and fucking John Cho later on like that shit got me through this oh, movie. John Cho like stole the movie. John Cho's so great. He's so great in everything. I love you, John Cho. Call me. Yes, yes. Lauren, Lauren uh, would love for you to give uh, give her a call, John. I love you, I love you John. Kastank, uh, as you yeah. say in this film. Um, yes. So he creates this elaborate lie. That what was it like? His dog got sick. No, and his on dad. Something? His dad choked on a meatball, <clears throat> and they had to go to the emergency room. And the teacher leaves the classroom to call his dad for confirmation because he's like, "Go ahead and call him." He gives her Amanda Bynes' phone number or a, like yeah. a she phone because a phone to like a because he was what like what are they're like texting each other on Game Boys or something? Yeah, what at the one f- point. It, it looks like they're texting each other on RC remote control. Well, because at remotes. first I was like, oh, is like is the thing in this movie is like he's a genius? Did he invent those? Because I've never seen anything like. You're thinking before. of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, <laughs> which was another Nickelodeon movie that came out the year before. <laughs> also, multiple problems with this scheme because one, she should absolutely not trust him when he gives her the number. Zero, like not at all. Yeah. Well, she, she has, doesn't. She doesn't trust him. She calls the number. She calls the number and talks to him and and talks to uh, Frankie Munez's dad, who is just Frankie Munez putting on a deeper voice, but he still sounds like fucking Frankie Munez. Yeah, and she she is putting her class to a halt. No, That's call the dad later in the day or in the. You at have lunch. a class like, to teach. Also, she should have his the number on file. <laughs> They're at yes, a school. Yes, exactly. So she should bring Frankie Muniz out into the hall. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. Yes, you have it. You do it after school. You don't stop your entire class because also then you're just justifying this behavior. You're rewarding this behavior because a kid that acts out like this wants to be the center of attention and you are giving it to him. Well, and this goes along with a bunch of bullshit shit kid like like kid fantasy that go, shows up in these movies where all adults are either like ridiculously evil like Paul Giamatti in this movie ridiculously nice like Miss Honey and Matilda or a fucking idiot like every other adult in every other children's movie there's no like adult that kind of is able to like understand what act a kid's like coming from yeah act like an adult like there's no responsible parenting happening also 
That entire class is in there while he's doing that call. And they're laughing, they're yucking it up, these chuckle There's fucks. There's not one kid. There's not one kid that's gonna rat him out. There, well, I, I, I've got to assume that's what happened because my next thinking. problem is the school needs a minkus. It's resolved by the end of the day. Like he's leaving school at the end of the day, and his parents are there. Like, did she make a follow up call? Like, how did they? The parents just happened to stop by. Were they? I guess were they called because there was he had an, another absence or whatever because he was seen trying to sneak into the school. Like, I think I think Sandra O. Oh, the way I took it was Sandra O. Oh was on the level. Knew that he knew that this was a Munez like a Munez joint, <laughs> and was like, "Oh, I know he's fucking with me. I'll give him like the satisfaction that he won." But then, like on his just lunch break, I'll call there. his parents just to fuck with him because I'm Sandra Oh and I'm a baller. And so when his parents That's come also in, also a terrible plan. I'm sorry, you should not give this class clown the platform that he wants. No, you shouldn't. Also, don't like he did not do an assignment that was worth a third of his grade. Which for, I don't think you have in like what middle school? How old are they? They're he's like fourteen. They're fourteen. They say right. So he's probably a, he's probably a freshman in high school. Like you, I don't think we had any classes where, in a, especially in English class, where there was one assignment worth a third of our grade. That's like a college level thing. And secondly, he probably had weeks to do that. I have no sympathy for him. He he should not have gotten an extra three hours to do that assignment. Well, doesn't she also teach at, at the night. community college, though? Yeah. <laughs> so she's teaching her one curriculum. It's, it's like she a, has a, one syllabus. I don't know how you guys, if you guys had this, but for like a lot of my engineering classes, I had like professors that taught, that only taught like graduate level classes. So then when they had to teach like my level, like my undergraduate courses, they didn't give a shit about us. They did not try to dump, like t- teach the material <laughs> at a more basic level. Is that what she was doing? Was she just like, I'm going to teach this exactly like I teach my community college class. Yeah, that's exactly what I think is happening. You She's chuckle teach- fucks got to get ready for college one day. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you join me at DeVry. Um, so she, the, the parents come, she says, you have to get me. I'm, I'm assuming it's like two or three o'clock. Yeah, it's, it's got to be two o'clock. Because he it's says it's three only, hours. He says a 1,000 word at, of paper in three hours. It's only 1,000 words. Yeah. Handwritten. She's not counting that shit. He's not typing it up. Yeah, but that, that would take like, what, an hour and a half to hour write? An hour and a half. And that's a third of your grade. You can't do that. Like, I have no sympathy for this kid. He deserves to fail. He deserves to be in summer school. And I honestly, I'm on team Monty Wolf if you ignore the fact that Marty he's a despicable human being. <laughs> I'm going to slip in and out of it all night. <laughs> no, I completely agree. This kid operates like lives, dies on the hill of bullshit. Just makes stuff up. Vitriol spews from his mouth yep. for the 88 minutes that I have to watch him on screen. Yet he can't just apply it to the fucking page. Yeah, and then the second that he sees that trailer with that, like with his idea, suddenly he gives a shit about integrity. Yeah, yeah. this kid needs an improv club. Oh, but also, he writes that he like his parents are there. They know like the deal is he has to write the paper in three hours and give it to the teacher at the community college. First of all take him to the community college so he can write it there and give it to her. No, he goes all the way home, writes it, and then his are his parents just like, nah, you're on your own, kid. Yeah. Like, because he has to, like, ride his sister's bike to, to the college. Well, apparently they don't know age, how to parent, so. When I was that age, my parents would not have let me do that. Like, just fucking give him a ride. Yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. My parents wouldn't have let me do that. No, they would have said, you go, you write this here so that we know you're not cheating or anything else because you burned every bridge Yeah, my, par- every my adult. parents would absolutely, like, just watch. Like, I don't understand why they're not watching him like a fucking hawk, They sh- including driving him there. Yeah. There should be no point in which you let it, like... Also, if you don't want your kid to go to summer school, which obviously you don't, you want him to finish this paper, so you're going to make sure that he turns that paper in. Why are they trusting him now? 
It makes no sense. Regardless, he writes uh, a story. He gets divine inspiration. An incredibly vague story, I will point out, that anyone could come up with. Yes, it's called Big Fat Liar, which is just Pinocchio. I I just want to say, this is, like, this is what year, like, this is 2002. 2002. So he writes a a story, it's called uh, Big Fat Liar, and it's... Uh, about a guy who he just starts lying and he can't stop and the lies get too big and take over his life and then it's made into a, a studio movie. I think he wrote Catch Me If You Can. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy, you think he's Frank Abagnale? Yeah, and th- that's why the, the <laughs> teaser the teaser trailer has nothing to do with, with the movie because obviously they hadn't started shooting it yet so it doesn't matter that that trailer that he sees when he's at the theater has absolutely nothing to do with Catch Me If You Can because he wrote Catch Me If You Can. Yes, he did. Oh my God, that's amazing. And Amy Adams is the uh, is the Amanda Bynes stand-in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kind of love that. Paul Giamatti is just uh, Carl Hanratty is, is Tom Hanks. Oh, that's that's pretty brilliant. I enjoyed this a lot. Um, so, yes, he writes this story. He's on his way to deliver it. He gets hit by a car. Um, and inside the car is it's big... a limo. Right? A limo, yeah. Big time Hollywood producer Marty Wolf. For some um, reason, in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. He's he's location scouting for his next. Pi- oh no, he's not. He's, he's, he's there they're filming. Yeah, they're filming. Whitaker and the Fowl or yeah. whatever. The Jaleel White. Which is White the best joint. part of the movie? It really <laughs> the, is. The, the Jaleel White moments. Oh my yeah. god, the chicken. Yeah, it's a, it's essentially the part Turner on the hooch. The part on the red carpet when like he's trying to like when he's trying to talk to the reporters and then the chicken gets brought out. That's the best part of the movie. <laughs> the chicken and, gets like, brought out sunglasses all, and bling. All, all the all the like paparazzi only care about the chicken. They're just like they're just like forget you, Urkel. Honestly, I would so much rather watch that movie. I've never seen a more Nickelodeon pitch of a movie. It's just this actor trying to deal with the fact that his chicken co-star is a bigger deal than him. I'd rather, yeah, the E-True Hollywood story of Whitaker and Fowl. That's a movie I'd watch. I'm so down. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so so. Paul is currently taking a photo of our of our dying cat. Of our, our lovely dying cat. Um, we love him very very much. So yes, yeah, so Paul Giamatti uh, essentially hears uh, Jason Shepard, who's being way too forward with this adult man that just hit him, um, yes. and he's just like, yeah, no, I lied. So now I'm on this time crunch. So you need to drive me up to this community college. Tells Paul Giamatti the entire Swedish meatball story, and Paul <laughs> Giamatti retcons it and gives him like script notes and punches up the lie and essentially like, look, kid, if you're gonna learn how to bullshit, you need to bullshit from me. I'm a big time producer in Hollywood. I'm white dude. I'm gonna. Do, I will show you the art of bullshit. Look at my goatee, and. And when and Jay, does he have a goatee? He does have a goatee. He has a gross goatee. I've already forgotten what he looks like. Yeah. So when he's uh, got the full Tony Stark. <laughs> not as much hair. <laughs> All right, kid. You want to learn how to lie? <laughs> Paul Giamatti is Iron Man, though. He, he can. He's already the Rhino. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> everyone remembers that so vividly. <laughs> it's, uh, when Frankie Muniz rushes out of the car, he drops his story. Paul Giamatti picks it up and inexplicably reads a seventh grader's oh, yeah. paper. You, you could not. He's like he's like a multimillionaire. He's like his time is so valuable. You could not pay me enough to read a fourteen-year-old's creative writing assignment that fell out. That was like written in scribbled pen, like it, like on torn out composition note paper. Like you could not pay me enough to read that. Yeah, the one thing though, which is I guess why he's a big time Hollywood producer, and right. I'm here. And you're That's here. showbiz, baby. You're on this couch, baby. <laughs> 
I, th- that goes to another long-standing trend that kids do that really bothers me is they don't zip up their fucking backpacks. <laughs> like whenever I see kids walk around and their backpacks aren't zipped up, like that's that you're just asking for a big time Hollywood producer to steal your papers. Honestly, check the car before you get out. <clears throat> you probably want to get out of the car. That dude was creepy as shit. That's your own fucking fault. You have to be thorough. I've gotten out of Lyft. It wasn't his fault he got dude, hit by I a limo. Have, I have gotten out of many an awkward Lyft ride and I have always checked to make sure all of my stuff is out of the Lyft. Because you don't want that Lyft driver to finally be like, you know what, I always said I was a screenwriter, but now I actually have a screenplay. Yeah, and that's why my scripts aren't getting stolen by Paul Giamatti. Well, when I see Paul Giamatti as my Lyft driver, I'll be sure to avoid him. Please do. <laughs> um, so yes, then we flash forward to the summertime because he doesn't get uh, he doesn't get his paper to Sandra O, oh, and he gets sent to summer school. So one day he is in um, he goes to the movies with Amanda Bynes, and they see the trailer for Big Fat Liar, the teaser trailer for Big Fat Liar, and he watches the rest of the movie that they go see. I mean, <laughs> what movie were they seeing? I think they were they seeing Whitaker and Fowl. <laughs> I, I who knows? I mean, they, they, they Paul Giamatti cooking the books, showing his own trailer in front of his movie. That would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. We see Marvel trailers before Marvel movies. Why wouldn't you see the BFL trailer before uh, Whitaker and Fowl? <laughs> so they they leave, and Amanda Bynes, who at this point I think has had two lines in the movie, and yeah, she did that whole like yeah. Something off his hold. Yeah, but that's like Amanda. Bi- it takes about forty-five minutes. She said minutes. no a lot of times. Yeah, it takes for about forty-five minutes. Are we counting each to... no as an individual? Because there's that whole section. Where he's like, no, 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 no. Yes, you just gotta wear her down. Yeah, that's all about uh, all of his antics. She just says no to. I don't until think that's it... happened yet, though. That happens um, at, at the office when they're gonna. At the yeah. yeah. Oh no. They, yeah. They, they, it happens so a couple that's times. That's their whole bit: is that yeah. she says no, and then he wears her down, and then she has a good time. Yeah, but then it's she's a great complicit. Great message to send to these Nickelodeon watchers. Well, and unfortunately, these young women. Yeah, these young women. Uh, we we'll get into some of that shit later on. Unfortunately. When have we ever waited to get into shit? All right. Yeah, that's true. Continue. So uh, no, let's let's get no, into. No, no. I mean, we just <laughs> talked about it just now. Continue. All right. Um. So then they decide that. Uh, they should fly out to Hollywood to confront Paul Giamatti about this uh, th- this stolen IP, and uh, which works out fine for them because I guess they have an unlimited amount of money to be able to fly. Because well, what he he said like three summers worth of like mowing lawns and doing chores. I'm sorry, what is his allowance? Because that was probably what like six hundred bucks a ticket to get from Michigan to L.A. There and back, round definitely trip. round trip. Yeah, I would say at least four. They don't know where they're gonna stay. And they're yeah, they have no miners. yeah, they have no plans for where to stay. They have no plans for transportation because they they trick they trick uh, gullible Donald Faison into the, thinking that he's at, he's a what, fur coat kingpin yeah. of like Just Michigan of the, of the and, Midwest, yeah. of the Midwest, like uh, uh, named Stroog. Yeah, and uh, two Donald Faison movies in a row. Not another film podcast. You just made the Hall of Fame, Donald Faison. <laughs> All right, continue, sorry. Um, but yeah, they, with no regards for whether or not they're going to ruin this guy's life by getting his job taken away because he's missing a big client, for which which comes up in the next, like, a couple scenes later because he's like, you almost cost me my job. He charged, he asked them for $100 and then just so happens to hate Paul Giamatti's character so much that he's in for whatever they're doing. Yeah, he's in for terrorizing a person's life because he, this movie's all about just getting back at people. He got him blacklisted from all of LA. Yeah. To be fair. No, it's shitty. It's a shitty deal. It's a shitty deal. But that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. We're dealing with the wolf right now. Dealing with the wolf. 
And so when they get to LA, uh, again, they have no idea where they're going to stay. They trick Donald Faison and they end up on the, I guess like it's, it's the universal lot because the Jurassic Park theme song's playing and they're in, you see like Jurassic Park and and back to the future. uh, Nickelodeon's owned by universal. So they, they're walking around the back lot and I love scenes on back lots. Typically Ian was so tickled. I was tickled because you get to see like, you see the giant gorilla costumes from Batman and Robin you see uh, the Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. You see some lovely people in brownface. You see people in brownface. You see people currently filming the live-action Aladdin. Yeah, the <laughs> Guy Ritchie's unfortunate Aladdin. Up. Yeah. Yeah, no, you see it all. You see it all. and uh, That's pretty much the most fun you have the entire movie. Yeah, so then they're going to go to Paul Giamatti's office. They're going to go to Marty Wolf Productions. And all he wants to do is just talk to him. This is this legit his this kid's plan. We just we still keep coming back to this point where the only thing he wants out of this is a phone call to his dad. He wants his dad to trust him again. <laughs> yeah, but you could do that by just actually buckling down and like going to class and not being an asshole. Your dad will forgive you well, eventually. You don't have to do this. He's not actually fixing any of any of his behavior. Nor does this movie lead us to believe that he needs to learn that lesson. Well, and what is he entitled to? He wrote the treatment for what is going to become a movie, right? Yeah. Not not saying that he does not deserve to have, like, writer's credit on it, because he does, mm-hmm. sure. Like, for, you know, based on the source material written by fucking 14-year-old Jason Shepard. But at the end of the day, he wrote a thousand-page treat or a thousand-word treatment that Paul Giamatti is then using as inspiration for a greater screenplay. Yes, and that's not even the issue that he's asking to be corrected. He is just asking for Paul Giamatti to call his dad and confirm a story that if he hadn't been such an asshole, his dad would have believed anyway. Give me, like, something with the parents. Like, give me, like, the dad has some sort of terminal disease (laughs) that they need, like, the money from this to be able to help, and Paul Giamatti's like, fuck no. Because Paul Giamatti just being petty and being like, no, I'm not going to take two minutes from my day to call your dad because I'm just that evil. It's like, I don't, like this, like you said, the stakes for this movie are like, hmm, do I get a chicken burrito or a steak burrito today? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not stakes, they're non-existent. Well, there's, and he's yeah. not even like, it's not even like he forms this antagonistic thing with, with Paul Giamatti super early on, like, in that car scene. Like, if they, if he had, like, done something shitty to Paul Giamatti, then he would have had a reason to say, like, fuck you to this kid. <laughs> Instead, he's just mean to a random kid who left his book bag in your car. And who, yeah, and who literally wants, like... Should have zipped up if your I, backpack, like, that, you little fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that kid is spending, like, uh, Frankie Muniz is spending, like, let's say at least a thousand dollars of his, like, allowance money. As a 14-year-old, it's a lot of money. I would be asking for, like, for points on the package. I want percentage, profit percentage yeah. of Big Fat Liar. <laughs> but, like, Marty is literally getting out of it with just a phone call to the dad. He like, should be relieved. But also, if I was that dad, there are multiple times where fake phone calls are made by Frankie Muniz in this movie. I would be like, oh, this is my shithead kid making up another, like, uh, just making up another story. Like, and then I'd be, I'd ground him again when I got back. Like, exactly. Why would he think his dad would believe that phone call? Well, and then there's no reason, because he's like, they're, they're modeling Frankie Muniz's character after like, oh, we're going to make a 14-year-old version of Ferris Bueller. Like... 
But he's but he's not because he's not cool. He gets picked on all the time. He has one friend, which is just Amanda Bynes. Who, not, who's the only friend that will put up with his pathological lying. Yeah, so he's more like a Marty McFly, actually, than he is like He's a, not charming enough to <clears> pull <throat> off the pathological lying. Well, and he's because he's ruining four, everyone's day. And because he's 14, he's just an agent of chaos. Yeah. He's like, he's just this like horrible, horrible human. Like he's the worst of all possible mixtures. It really, it's not. He's really fucking terrible. And he hasn't thought this through at all. No. So he goes. They go to the office. But also, Paul Giamatti, like, it's just... I, I, well, Paul Giamatti's a horrible human well, as well. Also, I'm just like, he's not a good villain. Because I feel like you don't have to be on the villain's side, which, like, obviously you don't, it doesn't have to be the case, but I feel like you at least kind of have to understand where the villain's coming from. And I don't understand why he's this way. Again, give me... You create the stakes later on of... You're about to go into your first day of shooting for Big Fat Liar. You have the, the new... Uh, president of the studio that's there that you want to impress. Like, give me... S and and the only thing we know is that the last, like, five or six movies that have come out of Marty Wolf Productions have been real shit. Like, even Frankie Muniz, who knows a lot about the movies that have come out of this one specific studio, is like, oh yeah, you've created a lot of stinkers. And so it's like, it, it needs to be good. And in no way... Is the idea for this movie good? Yeah, because it was written by a 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't... Like, when they get it, like, fucking Dateline NBC or whatever, it's just like, Big Let's Fat see. Liar is gonna be the biggest movie of next <laughs> summer. Which, which, by the way, at that point, they still haven't even started shooting <laughs> no. it. They don't have a cast. They don't... Like, give us something... You, we get to see, like, a director, kind of John Woo... Or not John Woo. John Cho is in there as a John Woo stand-in, essentially, because it's 2002. Is that Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The only well, the only reason I'm saying I think it's a John Woo stand-in is oh, because yeah, the doves. Yeah, every shot is doves everywhere. There doves, are doves, multiple camera 12 angles. Twelve camera angles on one scene, doves everywhere. It's like, oh, you're John Woo. But they they have a director. Um Monty is played by Amanda Detmer, also in the Not Another Film Podcast Hall of Fame, because she played Terry, the girl who got hit by a bus in Final Destination. Um oh, that's Terry. Why she looks familiar. Yep, yep, yep. Um, R.I.P. Terry. But she's the one actually writing the script for BFL. Um, and so, but there's no, give us like a, oh, and we have, you know, fucking Brad Pitt is going to star as like Kenny Trooper in the movie or something like that. Like for a movie that is not afraid to drop all of these different kind of like movie jargon and like lingo or whatever, like why don't you, why aren't they playing with more cameos? There aren't, like, people that are come down to come down and, like, yeah, be in these Nickelodeon movies. Yeah, there's no reason movies. for this movie to be, be the biggest yeah, thing no, ever. Jack I mean, Black's not down to make a cameo in this shit? Yeah, like, act, actors like making movies that their kids will see. I mean, I feel like they could have gotten a couple. They gotta have a little bit of pull with this. I mean, it's a, it's universal, right? I just want my son to see me in this movie. <laughs> like, there That's is, why I stole the 14-year-old script. But there is, like, there is no movie that has that much hype before it's even begun filming that is like an original property. Yeah, unless it's not based off of something or part of a cinematic universe. Or like from an established director, like yeah. like a Nolan movie would, or, or something like that. It's like, like P.T. Anderson's next movie. Yeah, yeah. or it's like I guess, and that's what I had this conversation with myself a little bit in the writing notes. It's like who is is who is Marty Wolf like an analog for? Is he, he like because a, he's a producer that like people look like actually anticipate showing up on the red carpet which is not something you see. Yeah, there people are, don't know producers. There aren't really too too many producers that have that reputation for being that hands-on with the movie to where they will write a script, 
uh, or you know that, that that also won't direct it because I was like, well, maybe it's like an M Night Shyamalan kind of thing because M Night Shyamalan's that hands on, and people yeah. know like, oh, a Shyamalan movie is about to come out, but and but it's not that, and and they won't start shooting until later in the movie until he is on set. Yeah, it's not a Michael Bay thing because Michael Bay would have been there. The only thing we could think of is that he's an avid, he's a stand-in for Harvey Weinstein. Which at the time was like, he was that producer. He was the one that like, people were like, oh, like Harvey Weinstein is making this movie. Like he was the like, you know, for for better and for worse, like the force behind a lot of like Miramax getting a lot of like new ground in terms of like the Tarantino shit yeah. and Scream and like, uh, and Bob Weinstein starting uh, Dimension. And little did we know at the time, and now we're much more aware of the lascivious and horrible nature of this incredibly, like, disgusting human being. This is where the harsh, sobering light of 2018 part of the podcast comes in. Where, yeah, where it's like it was impossible for, after, like, I can, we kind of had that little, like, is he supposed to be like a... I think so. Like a Harvey Weinstein? Which is also why we had the moment three quarters of the way through this movie where we're like, you know what? His day, he's been mean to a lot of people. But he's he's still better than Harvey Weinstein. Like they in do a larger a whole... scheme of things, he's probably one of the better dudes in Hollywood. Yeah, from what we yes, from what we've now gleaned, like as people that have never we been to Hollywood, we don't see him sexually assault the... a single woman he, in the movie. He, he is only verbally harassment. He only verbally har sexually harasses women, and that's and more he, of uh, dismissing them as humans. Than well, he like, mostly just oh, calls he you. calls Monty like what sugar plum or like sugar sugar, yeah, sugar pants. Yeah, sugar. You know, pants not and stuff okay, like but also is, way worse things to be called. And is like racist because he calls like John Cho like Confucius, Confucius yeah. and I'm sure he makes some comment about uh, Jaleel or Donald Faison but. yeah yeah he, I mean he calls he yeah, yeah but yes anyway he they do like surveillance on him for a full day where they're like, we're gonna get his routine down <laughs> by following him for one day, for so we don't know day. it's a routine. It might just be an isolated. But I, I guess he has. But like, what Frankie Muniz like has steals his, palm his palm, pilot. like yeah, um, which is the most dated, dated sentence we've said so far. Yeah, but um, yeah, so steals his his organizer, and they watch him for a full day, and we're like, and we're like, you know what? He's an asshole, but if this is all he's doing, like he's one of the better ones. There are, like, essentially he's a he PG... He says bad things. He says, like, PG, PG-13 bad things. But he doesn't actually do anything. He's Nickelodeon Ari Gold. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. He's Nickelodeon Ari Gold. Mm-hmm. But, and... Yeah, actually, yeah. That's, a, that's like, the best analog I can think of. <laughs> Which, like, Ari Gold's not even a producer until Entourage the movie. Um, but I do, <clears throat> before, before we skip this, there's one thing I want to talk about in the initial scene where he, they do go to Monty or Marty Wolf's office <laughs> to see him and they, the receptionist won't let them in cause they don't have an appointment. So they, the dog they thing? so they fake call the receptionist and are like, yeah, your car, do you drive a, what is it? A, a suit, whatever. They're like, do you drive a Subaru? Cause they see the keys on her desk. Yeah. And the, she's got a lot of dog statues. So they're like, yeah, your dog is. And then Frankie Muniz's lie is like. Your par your car is parked parked on a dog. Parked on a dog. Like, say like there's a like a dog locked in your car, and she'll be like, "Oh, I forgot to like take the drop the dog off somewhere or something." Or a dog but, got caught underneath your car. Yeah, like yeah, there's a but like parked on a dog, and like yeah, it's the it's on the tail, and the receptionist starts like 
fucking gagging and dry heaving it and he's the most repulsive one of the so most much. repulsive movies things I've ever seen so like much. it's like the, the shit that's coming out of your cat right now is less disgusting <laughs> than what this receptionist is doing to show how like scared and grossed out Ian she is by the I thought hate. of her car hurting a dog listeners yeah. who remember the minority report episode remember that I really hate it when we talk or see people gagging or throwing up at all. It is like a big thing for me. So I'd forgotten this existed and I was very upset by this the, scene. Something I do like a little bit about this scene, do you remember the name of the receptionist who loves dogs? Do you remember her full name? God, no. Astrid Barker. <laughs> that made me giggle a little bit. It's very on the nose, but it's a wet nose and it's a dog's nose. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, then they go up, Paul Giamatti's like, I'm not calling shit. Kid, get out of my office. They he keeps he has he has Frankie Muniz's original script in a safe. That's insane. Like he has the the short story written by this child in a safe. You kept the proof. You didn't <laughs> type it up. Yeah, like you have like a it's a thousand you words. You have a developed script. Just give it to Astrid. Yeah. <laughs> She'll do it. She'll type it up. Yeah, just have somebody type it up. You can do it. You can spare twenty minutes to type up a thousand words, and then you can tear this thing up instead of lighting it on fire. With a cigar like you do in front of Frankie Muniz like a goddamn sociopath. <laughs> it's ridiculous what he does in this film. But yeah, so Frankie Muniz leaves. He and Amanda Bynes inexplicably have an entire song and dance montage because it's a Nickelodeon movie, the, I guess. In the movie prop warehouse. Yeah, in the movie prop warehouse where they're staying. Yeah. Because they're staying overnight. And they're, they're baby geniusing in this movie prop warehouse. Which, you know, looks awesome when you're a kid. Like, I remember that sequence of like, oh yeah, I remember they have like a lot of fun in this movie warehouse when really all it is is a bad montage to a song that sounds like we couldn't get the rights to First Date by Blink-182. <laughs> so we had my my nephew Skid's band record a song <laughs> that's essentially the same. Like, if you could just record the exact is same Skid's song. Skid's band Skidmark? Yeah, no, it's, it's Skidmark and the Skid Rose. <laughs> great, great, great. Love it. This is like that was I think the song that I turned to you and I was like, you know, the scene would have been better if it was just ska. Oh, everything would be better with ska. This movie seems like such a ska movie. And also, you guys gave me so much shit for the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. It's a bad soundtrack. And y'all are given this one just as much shit. No, this is way worse than the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. Scooby-Doo soundtrack at least had Simple Plan. The, this one just has Skid Row. And the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. <laughs> Was it was the it's probably a masterclass of its field. No, the Scooby Doo soundtrack just had a lot going on. It was just a lot of different genres put together, and some people think that those genres did not met and did not mesh. I think that they mesh. I'm right and you're wrong, but that's okay. This is just terrible. It's just one genre, and it is just a wash of terrible. Honestly, at they... least the Scooby Doo soundtrack had originality. <laughs> it had vision. I'm I... not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> this movie would have had a lot more fun if they had just kept just Smash think, Mouth I songs. I think Cole and I's friendship's over the way he just looked at me. I've never been looked at with such derision by Cole in all of our years of friendship. I know. I, I don't want to revisit Scooby-Doo. I don't want to, like, like, we're already talking about one bad you movie. You come into my house. You insult my cat. All right, we'll do. We'll and do. And my taste in We'll do a sub episode on comparing the soundtracks track by track. Thank you. That being said, thank we, you. I appreciate I guess, that. Well, Justice you know, for Scooby Doo. You know what we can do uh, is we can take a, we can create an award. 
for the uh, the Scooby Doo soundtrack award that was previously Thank held you. by Scooby Doo, and we Thank can you. anoint Big Fat Liar with the Scooby Doo soundtrack award <laughs> for having the next worst soundtrack to a movie. You know what? I'll take it. I'll yeah. Ta- I'll, you know what? You know what? I'll I'll permit it. Yep. Let's see. Uh, Continue. The, I just I just wanted to point out that. Uh, there's a song on the Scooby-Doo soundtrack by Outcast Killer Mike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Land of a Million Drones. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. When did that song come on? Was oh. I just so blinded by how bad that movie was? That it's I after I... Scooby-Doo is dressed like Medea from Medea's Family Reunion. And it's, like, the, it's like when they first come on, yeah. Sorry. It's fine. I, I mean, can sing it for you if you'd like. Nah, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you day. can sing it to me later it's on. It's okay. I just shoot, shoot, uh, you got to shoot your shot sometimes. No, you're good. You got to shoot your shot. Um, so we cut, we keep cutting back to Taryn Killam, who is dressed as Amanda Bynes and staying with Amanda Bynes' senile grandmother. You know, I kind of like this subplot. I wish this was the I fucking would, movie. Why is there one scene of this? If you're going to do that, this should be intercut throughout. Rule of threes, movie. He was so at home in those clothes, and he found such acceptance from her. I really liked it. Well, I really you, thought it was kind of beautiful. You can see how, like, of, of the kid actors, quote-unquote, in this movie, that Taron Killen's going to be the one who kind of, like, gets out alive because he's, like, takes a little part. He and survived really, the great Nickelodeon child actor purge. He really fucking runs with it. He's, like, pretty funny in his, like, two scenes that he has in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, when he's walking away after stealing his skateboard, he, like, legit makes a comment, like, to himself, which is like, oh, yeah, bullying. Like, <laughs> and it's pretty funny. It's just like, oh, you know what fucking movie you're in, dude. There's like, a that's awesome. There's awareness to what he's doing. Yeah. And there's one point where he's like, I think it's when he, they're at the kitchen table and Amanda Bynes is tutoring him, where he's like, I bet you wish you saw your skateboard. And it's like, yeah, I do. You <laughs> stole my skateboard. <laughs> he's, he's great. He's great in this. We don't see him again until what? Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? He's in that briefly, I think. What is he in that? Oh, no, he's not in that. I'm getting him confused with Ethan Embry. Okay. Because Ethan Embry plays one of the douchey guys that's mean to, to John Cho in that movie. Lauren, I do just want to tell you that I do agree that this soundtrack is worse, <laughs> but they're both bad. <laughs> I don't want to leave our friendship on that note. <laughs> You're like, more than one thing can be bad, Lauren. They both have songs by the Baja Men on them, so they're both <laughs> bad. Is there a Baja Men song in this movie? It ends mm. on Can You Move It Like This. Oh, that's a Baja Men song? Yeah. Oh, I like that song. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad, but I still liked it. You can like bad things. I think, uh, that, I think that's the... Yeah, no, you can. You can like I bad things. I think that's things. the conclusion I'm coming to slowly, is that, oh, I can like bad things. That's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, so we, um, we, we go through the day of terrorizing Paul Giamatti after they've gotten Donald Faison on their side. They're, they pour a bunch of blue dye into his swimming pool. He comes out, uh, um, Marty Wolf, Paul Giamatti, comes out, does this incredibly seductive dance with this creepy-ass monkey doll named Mr. Chuckles. He, he dances from the pool. Or Mr. Funnybones. He dances from the pool in his backyard, upstairs, into his bathroom, and is... I don't know, six or seven minutes into a shower before he realizes that his entire body has been turned blue. Also, 25 laps in his swimming pool, which is on his Palm Pilot, and the entirety of Hungry Like the Wolf has not even finished playing yet. (laughs) Well, because he's not in a normal-sized pool. It's like five yards long. (laughs) (laughs) 
he gets out when he gets out of the pool, he's already dry. It's it's like the the opening of of Spy Who Shagged Me. He like just walks up to his shower and he's completely blue. Why he um dyes his hair orange because I they have put many orange hair dye. Questions. Okay, go for it. Um so many. Uh, first of all, he never looked at his hands at yeah. any point. Yeah, he's like dancing and flailing around and he makes it all that's what I he was like He puts the saying. shampoo in his hands. Yeah. And somehow never he tur- he turns the knob he's, to turn the shower he's on. He's dancing and jumping up and down on the bed and he never once sees his his body like There's no way to avoid seeing your hands. How many times have you guys taken showers to Duran Duran? I never look at my body when Duran Duran is on. Also, what is I am clo- my eyes are closed. I'm in Rio, baby, when Duran Duran is on. Also, they um they dump what like a bottle of blue dye into his entire swimming pool. How much do they dump in that there? Could be his skin would be on fire. Yeah, and well, also his either eyes. That or, but his it, it eyes would, would burn out. Yeah, exactly. I also don't just don't think it was enough dye. I'm I'm not, I'm not remembering. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's not enough. <laughs> like, did, uh, would it be like first of all, if if like I guess the pool, the sides, and, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Yeah. I exa- I'm sorry I was, that I beat you there. No, I'm it's, so sorry how it's, rude of me. It's fine, but like I want, I just don't like the sides of his pool are blue. So maybe if the water is blue enough to turn his body blue, he wouldn't notice. There's no way you swim 25 laps in a pool without noticing that the water isn't like water. That would it's ca- not the, the transparency of, of water. Yeah, and his eyes would be burning out of And yeah, and you like, you don't like you can't you can't swim with like laps without getting some water like in your yeah. nose, in your eye unless you're wearing the, goggles or in your mouth. Like I sw- I went to the gym and swam this morning. Yeah. I swallow a, a good bit of water on accident when I'm swimming. We get it cold, because you work out. But it's but like there's I I this is probably the scene in the movie where I had the most problems just because I'm <laughs> just like this that, whole sequence I have a I have so many the amount of time every single prank prank quotation marks around it that they pull on him has the potential to quite literally cause permanent bodily damage. They could yeah. kill him with Sorry. the shit they pull with his car where they're just pulling wires out. You're telling me that they couldn't have accidentally fucked up with the like with the brakes on his car? Dude, they should have just godfathered him in that moment. They should have just blown up the car. They could have <laughs> killed him many times. They could like he puts the they put they had put glue on his earpiece. So that, like, I just, he I could just, kill it. He I don't could think, hurt his ears. I don't think that would be enough. I also just don't think first of all, they put the the like the super glue on the earpiece while he's swimming. So let's what what is that like 30 minutes before he puts the earpiece in? The super glue is long dried before it so ever dry. touches his ears. And and like even if it didn't dry, I don't think it's enough where like it's causing him that much pain to pull it out. If 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 like this kid had called me and been like, "Oh yeah, I put super glue in your ear." I would just ripped it out. Like I'm not going to let this little punk get me like that. This kid <laughs> this kid who's like ex- lived on a diet of fruit loops and the Jamie Kennedy experiment. <laughs> like this kid there is a fine line between Jamie Kennedy-esque prank and domestic terrorism. And because he's a little white dude, he's not going to get in trouble at all in this. In fact, he gets praised and he gets his name in a fucking movie. <laughs> but, oh, God. So, yeah, so then they rewire all of his car uh, so that while he's driving and gets like a mile or so down the road, then his car decides to start fucking up. So when he tries to hit the brakes, it the car horn beeps. And when he tries to, like beep the car horn, then the windshield wipers go off, and he uh, pisses off this, like, large man, and the guy, like, rolls his monster truck over the guy's, like, Porsche, over Marty Wolf's Porsche, and fucks up his entire car. And so he's late 
to work. Monty has to continue to lie about where he is. So he's late to his to this meeting with the president of the of the the studio, and you know, and and he shows up and he's fucking blue. Well, no, first he's sent because Amanda Bynes in the third fake phone call of the movie calls Monty pretending to be the assistant, like a backup assistant for the president of the company and is like, he's he moved, he moved yes. as of like yesterday. And chain, here's his new address and the address they send Paul Giamatti to is like... A kid's uh, birthday. Yeah, so- like another sociopath. How, how do they know that there is a birthday party happening at this child's house? Oh, because because uh, they, they nabbed the... Uh, the birthday party invitation that uh, Lee Majors showed uh, Paul Giamatti. Lee Majors, the oh, $6 million right. dollar man, showed, is that. in this movie as a stuntman and is like, hey, Paul Giamatti, uh, I'm not going to show up on the first day of filming for this large stunt that we have to film because I have to go to my grandkids' birthday party. On this, I completely agree with Paul Giamatti. Oh, well, no, first of all, why are they filming this giant stunt on the first day of filming and they haven't even confirmed they have funding for this movie again. I just want to or stress the plot that. And again, of the movie. or who's in it? <laughs> yeah, because he secures funding the night before they're supposed to start shooting by t- by explaining a twist that he thought of in the movie to improve it. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. A twist that again, Jason Shepard came up with, but Marty Wolf expounded upon. And actually, and did the, uh, you know the little what? known process that this movie is not calling into question at all, which is adaptation. They're not like taking the idea that's like, oh yeah, you take a little pe- a seed yeah. of inspiration and then you turn it into the fucking script, for which is exactly what members, he is doing. For the audience members who have not watched this movie before, there is a big party where Paul Giamatti tells Frankie Muniz that he will uh, do everything that he wants. He will call his dad if Frankie Muniz helps him pitch this movie to the new president and I, gets the movie made. I need he, a third he, act. He uses the the earpiece to to basically they say, Cyrano. They Cyrano it. Uh, and then afterwards, fucking shocker, Paul Giamatti backs out of his end of the deal. Which really, that's on you, Frankie Muniz. Call security on this 14-year-old for the second time. And two security dudes show up. Like, they're not going to be able to take Bart Simpson out of this fucking room. Like, are you (laughs) serious, dude? That's on you, Frankie Muniz, for not getting that shit in writing. That's your fucking fault. That is your fault. Yeah, honestly. it's (laughs) Frankie Muniz is such an idiot in this goddamn movie. And unfortunately continues to drag down Amanda Bynes, who's just inconsequential in this. You know, uh, so this is a fun little fact. Um... Amanda Bynes not supposed to be in this movie originally. You know who was what? supposed to play that role? Hilary Duff. No, close. Haley Duff. God, you get no. Jamie Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, was supposed to be Lindsay Lohan. Yes, bitches. She took a break off of acting and decided to not do this movie, um, and this ended up being Amanda Bynes' first movie role. Really? This started the Amanda Bynes like career. And then it turned into, she went from that to What a Girl Wants and... Yep. and oh, we got to do What a Girl Wants. Holy shit. That's one of my mom's favorite well, that's movies. One, that was one of my... I wore that VHS out. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Amanda Bynes had a great career. Cole, by the way, is currently holding our cat like a child. Yeah. She's the man. Another great one. Oh, she's the man. I love She's the Man. Yep. I love Amanda Bynes. I think she's great. I think even in like some of the moments she has in this movie are great. She reminds me. I love me, the Amanda show. I love the Amanda show. She reminds me of like a fourteen-year-old, and, and you know, rightfully so, because she has a background in sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of like a fourteen-year-old Kristen Wiig. I was this. about to say the same thing. 
when you started saying that, I was like, Chris, no, she's said they've got such a similar energy. She has such good natural instincts in this. And Frankie Muniz is like a 14 year old actor version of, I guess, like what, Billy Joe Armstrong or something? Like, who's he supposed to be? I, there were multiple points in this movie where I thought of Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> I was like, yeah, if Billy Joe Armstrong was 14 and an actor, he would be Frankie Muniz. Like, because <laughs> you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. I was a big Malcolm in the Middle fan when I was a kid. Oh, me too. I've only ever seen the first season. Yeah. In fact, for a while, I held out on watching Breaking Bad because I did not want to see Brian Cranston's anything other than the goofy dad on that show. Yeah. Um, so let's okay. keep moving forward. Oh, this cat is freaking out. No, he's not. He's doing good. Um, <laughs> our cat is currently sitting on Cole's shoulder right now. Sorry, listeners. This is the second day that he's been in our apartment, and he's very, very cuddly. Oh. He's very loud and very cuddly, and we love him a lot, but he's very much trying to be a very vocal member of this podcast. Um, so as this movie goes on, and Paul Giamatti is, uh, it just pitches this, this third act of this movie that gets everybody super excited, the president is like, well... Marty, you did it. I'm going to give you the funding. Also, the pitch is that when he lies, his skin turns blue. And then when something else happens, his hair turns orange. And then when he's in love, he turns pink. Yeah. It's what about that sounds like a good movie? Yeah, no, everyone gets super into it. And I'm just like, People are like fucking crying. kill me. This, this movie is so this terrible. This movie is garbage. <laughs> the only crying. movie that's worse than Big, uh, than Big Fat Liar is the in-universe version of Big Fat Liar <laughs> that Paul Giamatti is currently pitching. There is no way in hell Big Fat, the movie they're pitching of Big Fat Liar gets Anywhere onto the big screen. I would, uh, you know what I would say? I would say that I think the, that they, the one way this movie gets made, Jim Carrey stars. Dude, which, you if know they what? Had said liar, in this movie, liar. If they had said in this movie, big, Jim big, Carrey. Big, big, fat, fat, liar, liar. <laughs> <laughs> if they had said that Jim Carrey was attached to this to star, I would buy that it was such a big deal. Yeah, but no. I would buy. I would no. buy that it was huge. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. Even though Paul Giamatti is kind of making a really good case for why he should have been playing the Grinch. <laughs> like, this entire I mean, movie. honestly, Paul yeah. Giamatti's swinging for the fucking fences in this. He is. He, in a PG movie, calls someone Ricky Retardo. Oh, God, um, that was <laughs> Oh, yeah, because he's driving slow. Yeah, which is fucking ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, so now that he's completely gotten... Um, uh, he got security to take away Jason for a final time. Uh, they're on set for the first big day in the movie. And they end up... Uh, he st- How do they end up on the roof? They the, Well, the, okay. the roof... That that takes a very, take a very long time to explain. So what happens is oh, yeah. he's, he's put in... like he's They're basically... Amanda Bynes and Frankie Muniz are detained in the warehouse where they've been staying this whole time. Monty comes and is like, Hey, security guy, I'll relieve you. I'll watch the kids go home and get some sleep. Because um, she then, watched and Monty- Jason pitch... She she watched Jason pitch the end of the movie to she Marty. She knows the deal. So now she knows that this 14-year-old kid actually wrote Big Fat Liar. So now she's on their side. Yeah, So and then so she's like, all right, yeah, everyone on this fucking movie lot hates 
that hates Marty will like will all work help you turn against him. And then they like the the like they spend what I don't know like three hundred grand worth of money just to just to own Marty Marty Wolf at the end of it. Like there's this long thing where it's like what they put a smoke. They Donald Faison goes to pick up Marty. They put a smoke machine under the hood so that it looks like the car's about to blow up. Jaleel White comes picks Marty up in his like sports car Mar- to drive him to the to the lot. He drives like he's. Like, drives like a crazy well, person. They're they're driving like in the desert. Like, wh- does Marty not live in like fucking Beverly Hills or something? That like, gross fuck lives in the valley. Yeah, like, he, <laughs> but they're driving across the desert to get to the movie lot, and like he's speeding. Marty jumps out of a moving car that's going I don't know 80 or 90 miles an hour again they could kill him yeah he would have died and then what he gets picked up in a helicopter Lee Majors by Lee Majors Majors and then then there's a problem with the helicopter Lee fucking Majors is in this movie guys Guys, but, the budget on this prank is crazy. But so then they skydive out of the, or they like parachute out. There's only one parachute, so they hold on to they each other. They make him think that the, that the helicopter's going to crash. Yeah. So he has to jump out. And then they land, they, they land, uh, and then Frankie Muniz gets Paul Giamatti essentially to chase him up on top of that roof. There's like a really dumb chase scene. And then they also have the water slide thing. Yeah, and then they, they one have... One of the several parts of this movie that makes me think a lot of it was just ripped from blank check oh dude i the same thing i was like this is the last chase in blank check yeah well also just like the kid's birthday party where they get sent to reminds me of blank check the like kid get like jason getting hit by like the limo of the rich asshole who ends up being the antagonist it's blank check it's all blank check it's all blank check that's crazy i would say better movie but i haven't seen that movie in just as long it's pretty good sydney and i rewatched it like a year ago it's just like there's a point where you know this 11 year old kid is like has like a romantic kiss with like a 25 year old woman who's like a detective book of henry if that if if she was a man and he was an ele- and like she like the kid was an 11 year old girl that shit would not fly but it doesn't fine. fly regardless it, it flew 20 years ago <laughs> yeah because they were just like yeah this kid's getting it <laughs> It's but like anyway, big. but anyway, so then they basically get Marty. They get Marty. He gets Marty to admit that he stole the idea from Jason. They get like they they have like a twelve cameras filming him. Yep, John Cho is on it. Twelve different camera angles for this first shot. Everyone has seen it, and it, they have this giant Reichenbach fall esque finale on the roof. Where I guess in this in this scenario, Frankie Muniz is the Moriarty. And kills him and gets thrown off of the falls and jumps down off the building. Frankie Muniz is Moriarty and Sherlock. Because he basically kills kills himself. But then he also is the one that jumps. So, I mean, really, he's the Sherlock. He's really the... He's supposed to be the Sherlock. Giamatti's not cool enough to be either of them. (laughs) All right, I stole your movie, you little fuck. I stole it and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Okay, so the, actually, the, this is the scene that I have the most problems with. <laughs> the, 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 the blue dye in the pool is the second most. Okay, please tell us. His, his parents are there because his parents fly out. They were on like a vacation. The reason he's able to do this, I don't know if we mentioned this, is because his parents were going on like a week-long trip and leaving him with his older sister. Just a long weekend. He, 
First, Thursday he, through Sunday. He, he flew, the, the parents flew out and they see this whole spectacle and they are so fucking proud of him. The dad's like, I guess you were telling the truth. Like, I'm sorry I didn't trust you. No, the dad is like, go get on that fucking plane. We're going back to Michigan. You are never going to see your friends again. You like, he, the, the, the him. You made him, up for that one lie by yeah. lying to me a shit ton of more times. Yeah, him, him, like, resolving the whole I was lying about writing this movie thing does not make up for the fact that he like was lying to his parents about like like where he was and being at home he 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 never tells his sister who is supposed to be babysitting him that he's going to LA she does she just forgot does, he had a does sister does she does she tell him that like oh cuz when when the parents first leave she goes off with their boyfriend is she like hey I'm going to be gone for like oh the whole week don't expect to see me or does she come back 2 days later and is like oh my god where is my brother he got kidnapped. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna fuck, my parents are gonna kill me. Like, is she submitting police reports? Like, no, these parents I are- I want them to cut back to his hometown where they're searching for his body. Yeah, this is why his parents are terrible people. Like, they, they are terrible parents. They do they're not- They're rewarding bad behavior. Or, or, they allow him to get off of this one scot-free because they've now seen what their 14-year-old <laughs> son can accomplish- with a few years worth of allowance and some and some lies, and they are fucking terrified of what their child can do. Because yeah. he of is the Moriarty. Dirt. He is Moriarty. I think that's the twist of this if movie, is turns... Frankie Muniz is more dangerous than Marty Wolf will ever be. Right before he jumps, he's just like, I can do this to you too. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And then, so the movie ends... With Paul Giamatti is now officially a clown, and he just goes to he goes in as a punching bag to kids' birthday Dude, parties. Would that actual sexual predators could get the comeuppance that Paul Giamatti gets for stealing a fourteen-year-old story mm-hmm. yeah. in real life? Nope. No, you just get appointed to the Supreme Court. Well, that's what. Yeah. No, fucking <laughs> a. no, but that's what we were talking about last night. We're like everyone, everyone rallies around. The this like the defamation of no, this fourteen year old white ki- white dude's like defamation pursuit of a of a douchey Hollywood producer stole, that, who stole an idea, not yes. a script, not a full treatment, just a, a thousand yes. word paper. Who has done some fucked up shit? Like I do not want to discredit like verbal assault Is at, this at all. Basically, the equivalent but, of by the way, like someone stealing a kid's tweet. And turning it into a movie, I guess that's kind of like the equivalent. Well, no, no, I wouldn't. I would say no because when you do a tweet, you're putting that out into the world. There's some record a, of it a, being mine. There's well, there's a public record of it, but you're also putting it out into the world to then become kind of public. Yeah. Like a uh, public idea. Yeah. This is Sorry, a private continue. paper. What Sorry. I was saying though, the the what we were talking about last night, the super fucked up thing. Everyone rallies around this kid to take down this dude that the worst we have seen him do in this movie is be rude and and steal an idea. We have not seen him physically harm anyone that we know of, and we have not seen him uh, do anything necessarily illegal. He has ruined one career by blacklisting him, but even then, I feel like if you got a photocopy from Marty Wolf saying, like, blacklist this dude, I would be like, fuck you, Marty Wolf. And Go if ever, yeah, everybody apparently hates this dude anyway, yet no we can't get people to listen to, like, like, that's the fucking ridiculous thing that does not age well about this movie. All of that happens, and it seems so easy for everybody to jump on board the fuck Marty Wolf train, yet it took, like, months and months and months of, mm, I don't know, maybe they're lying when it comes to anything regarding any, like, 
any man coming under fire for sexual assault. It's such bullshit. Yeah, it's very upsetting. It's incredibly upsetting to rewatch this movie right now. Yep. Because it was just like, oh, as long as, like, it's nothing that actually makes us think too hard or feel mm-hmm. gross, yeah, I'm down to, like, what go nice against this cause. What a fantasy world. Like, oh, my God. Well, and then that's the other dark side of this movie is that it was written by Dan Schneider, who uh, has, like, he was essentially the king of Nickelodeon. He came up with all that. He came up with Keenan and Kelly. He came up with The Amanda Show. He wrote countless shows, countless movies for Nickelodeon. And uh, has since kind of abruptly uh, quit Nickelodeon out of uh, some pretty nefarious allegations against him as well. Including, I've, I'm, I've read that those are all just rumors. Like I don't know. I've if, read that I don't they're think rumors. They're allegations. Come, I don't. I don't. I don't know if anyone's actually come out and said anything. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Lewin disagrees. <laughs> Lewin's like they're allegations, nothing more. Yeah, but it just it's something that like when I read it. And then I went and did some research. Yeah, I mean, because I saw his name. I saw his name in the ending credits too. And then I, but I was like, I was like, I've read like both sides, and I've also read that a lot of it was just like people making stuff up online, and no one's actually come forward with any allegations. But who knows? Yeah. I just didn't want to speak un- speak to it without. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't want to indict someone that has not had like concrete evidence put against them. But at the same time, I don't know. It's one of those things that in in 2018, rewatching this movie with the amount of like scrutiny. We do have to look at at anything, but especially movies that are set in Hollywood that are about these types of people, about producers and the abuse of power that they yield, to then like be confronted with the fact that the movie was written by a a, a writer that whose career has kind of come under fire for a lot of those same reasons is like puts an even like kind of more sour taste yeah. in my mouth as a viewer. Um, but yeah, that's the mo- and then and then also on it on kind of an up note though and a little bit on an up note directed by Sean Levy first one of the first big movies Sean Levy did he later went on to do all of the uh, Night at the Museum movies oh he also did uh, I mean you mean I feel Dupree. like there's a similar like is thing like the Night at the Museum I can see the the kind of through line between. The, like, chase through the movie lot and then the chase through the museum. Like, he's kind of good at creating these, like, yeah. tableau for people to to explore. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, admittedly, all three of those movies are extreme guilty pleasures for me. I really oh, do. Ian fucking loves the I Night love the Museum. Night at the Museum movies. I've seen them all in theaters. I know they're bad. I just, I love them. I love them. Um, but most, my favorite thing that he's done recently is he's one of the main executive producers on Stranger Things. And he's directed a bunch of Stranger Things Hell yeah. uh, episodes. Um, so Sean Levy's doing good out of this. Frankie Muniz has got some projects in the hopper I've seen. Uh, he unfor- went on to do Agent Cody Banks. Which- and Agent Cody Banks 2, Operation London. I think he's also, though, just like plays in a band and is like pr- pretty happy and just lives off the royalties from like Malcolm in the Middle and shit. Like he that's like he's doing fine. Yeah, that's- Wasn't he a stock car racer for a while? Or am I making that up? I'm- he did a movie where he was a boxcar racer. <laughs> Racing stripes? No, it was like oh, he's a zebra. it was like miracle on some in lane whatever. Maybe I'm confusing that. Yeah, it was like a soapbox life. derby. Yeah, because it wasn't he in a wheelchair and like he could only he could but he could compete in the soapbox yeah. derby. What this movie he sounds get, awesome. He had to get it. It's a Disney through. Channel original. Yeah. We should do it. Damn, that sounds cool. Um, but yeah, and then Paul Giamatti obviously has gone on to have a, a great career of playing assholes and other things. Um, 
from from I mean you can draw a straight line from Marty Wolf to Justin Heller and straight out of Compton. Uh, <laughs> which is also my recommendation for this. Can't wait. Um uh but yeah, so that is Big Fat Liar. There are really no other big facts that I could find about this movie or anything. They watched the movie at the end. Sandra Oh's really proud and is like, that's my student. I was not happy to see Sandra Oh in this movie for another two more seconds. Um, yeah. Cool. Would you recommend people watching Big Fat Liar in 2018? Nah, it's a big no. Big fat no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a big fat, bigger, fatter oh no for me. There's a sequel called Bigger, Fatter Liar. Yeah, yeah. Um... Or sorry, are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, no. Nope. Strong no. Strong no. Can this. Go with uh no. I'll put I'll put it like this. This movie uh, cost fifteen million dollars to make. It made its money back. It made about fifty million dollars in the U.S. total wow. gross. Um, kids are dumb. We were all dumb. I saw this. In My theaters. life was better when I didn't remember this movie. But in a movie that was produced by Nickelodeon, it only was nominated for one. Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award. That's really sad. Did Frankie Muniz get slimed for winning Best Actor? No, Amanda Bynes won Best Actress. Uh, she, she got get slimed? slimed? Oh yeah, I'm sure she did. Oh. She was used to the slime at that point. She was born and raised in that slime. <laughs> yeah, she is. So I live on this shit. <laughs> she started eating it. <laughs> oh, that always used to bum me out when she people ate like, the slime ah. at the Kids' Choice Awards. Did they? PM people would like eat it. They'd be like, oh, it tastes good. It's probably like corn syrup and shit. But oh, I'm like, sure it's like Jello, basically. That's disgusting. I hated that. Anything with slime on Nickelodeon, I just didn't find Ian cool. Hates well, that was just Ian. that was everything on Nickelodeon for like fifteen yeah. years. So, he which is crazy because we've adopted this stickers. mucus cat, like this cat that also lives in the slime yeah, from Slime Time. Yeah, you wiped his line. nose how many times, Ian? Well, we've had him for about thirty-six hours. I've wiped his nose thirty-six times. <laughs> Speaking of slime, though, there's in the Allstate Arena out in Rosemont. There's it, it's. I think it's Double Dare 2000 or Guts. One of the two is like having a live show at Shut the Allstate Arena. Shut the fuck Arena. up. Are yeah, you serious? Let me, let me look it up. Holy shit. We will put a link to this in our show notes. This is amazing. I will go to this in a second. Um, here, we'll share this after after the episode. Uh, but for now, we always like to bring on, uh, uh, in 2018, if we do not like the movie, or if we do like the movie, we want to bring on a modern analog. What is the 2018 soul brother or sister to this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren, I'll go to you first. Cool. So I forgot about this part of the podcast until five minutes ago. Excellent. Um, so I just jumped into my brain to see what random tangent I could latch onto in this movie to something that I liked recently. Um, so I am going to recommend a movie that is another cat and mouse game <laughs> that is kind of a, uh, just two people kind of duking it out and like trying to fuck up each other's lives and, and, you know, there's some prank shenanigans and stuff. So I'd like to recommend A Simple Favor, uh, which <laughs> just came out recently, uh, directed by F- Paul Feig. Is it Paul Feig? Paul Feig. Paul Feig. Okay, cool. There are multiple Pauls in the world, I'm not sure. Um, there's more than one. There's even two, you might say. Two Pauls. Um, uh, and, uh, oh no, I was Paul confusing. Paul Feig and I, Paul Revere. See, I confuse, no, that, no, in my brain I was trying, I was confusing Paul Feig and Kevin Feige. In my head, I get them. Oh, Feige. I, I get them kind of confused sometimes. Um, but yeah. Anyway, it's a great movie. One of um, them is in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the other one is in charge of the uh, Melissa McCarthy Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yes, yes. Very easy to confuse the two. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's got Blake Lively. It's got uh, Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Um, and it's kind of this like 
comedic noir film. It should none of none of it should work. Yeah. But somehow it is this one of the most fun times I've had at the theater in recent memory. No, truly, yeah. We saw it last week. I and the I fucking loved it. I thought and, it was terrific. Oh, and also the soundtrack in, in Big Fat Liar is terrible. The soundtrack in A Simple Favor is delightful. Yeah. And I've been listening to it ever since we saw the movie. It's great. It's great stuff. When you're when when you've listened to the soundtrack to Crazy Rich Asians way too much and you need to put on something else, you put on the soundtrack to a simple favor for it's a palate cleanser. Then you go back to the it's Crazy like, Rich Asians soundtrack. It's like it's the soundtrack. Crazy Rich Asian soundtrack, but in French, basically. It's Pretty just, much. It's just like the French version. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Cole, what about you? Do you have a modern analog? Uh, it's not super modern. Uh, it's but mine is. Uh, just another movie about two just like prolific liars, basically just living giant lies, uh, just <laughs> battling it out. And uh, at the end of the movie, the uh, main female counterpart to one uh, leaves in favor to help the other one. And that movie is The Departed. Fuck yeah, baby. <laughs> Fuck yeah, baby. Mm, love it. Love it. Great choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's actually really funny. Um, yeah, my I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit this week too, and instead of recommending a movie, I'm gonna recommend a miniseries. Mm. Um, no, not but, not allowed. Yeah, well, not not another film podcast. Um, but, I feel like I know which one he's gonna recommend, and I'm really wondering how you're gonna tie this in. Oh well, we'll see. Um, so I uh, for another uh, miniseries. It's about three hours long. Kind of works as a full movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, but about abuse of power and somebody wanting yeah. their stake and uh, and and what they are owed from a relationship and then being uh, deliberately withheld from that. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's called A Very English Scandal. Yes! Um, and it stars Hugh Grant as uh, as Parliament member Jeremy Thorpe uh, and and Ben Whishaw as his former lover. Oh, um, ben Whishaw. Yeah, it's it's really really top notch. Uh, uh, television it's just it's really fucking good it's it's relentlessly entertaining the entire time um and it's got incredible performances in it uh none of which involve uh frankie muniz slime or paul giamatti acting like the grinch um but just really fucking great acting really good acting awesome ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to this episode of not another film podcast uh does anybody have anything that they would like to plug before we head out can't think of anything uh, Cole and I are starting a little mini-series podcast called For Your Reconsideration, uh, where we are taking movies year by year and examining prestige cinema and what movies got big awards and what movies we believe deserved to actually get those awards based on uh, the hindsight that we now have about those years and the cultural impact of those films. We'll have that coming for you soon. Uh, the first episode is out now on SoundCloud where we talk about 1990 and the big cultural impact of Goodfellas uh, as opposed to the uh, barely remembering anything of Dances with Wolves. So if you like movie podcasts, please go check that out. Uh, also, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, leave us an email at notanotherfilmpodcast at gmail.com. And for the next month... Leave us month, a review. Leave too, us a review, please. yes. Those really, really help us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it changes your algorithm in a good way. Uh, and be on the lookout. Next month, we're coming at you with all horror flicks. We're coming at you for our October Spectacular where we are going to scare the boo Jesus out of you <laughs> with all of our horror film I gotta leave this needs. apartment right now. Thank you very much for listening. Is boo Jesus the Holy Ghost? Bye! <laughs>